What is Easter? I figured this would be the simplest way to answer that question. To me, the meaning of Easter is this. It's this simple answer. God always has the final word. Amen? What's the meaning of Easter? God has the final word. Jesus was sentenced to death, but God had the final word. Amen? There was a, there's a park in California, and there was a pretty cool story, and I think it kind of relates to today. There's a park in California, and there's a rock hanging on a rope, and there's a large sign next to the, to the rock and the rope, and it says, a weather station report, and in parentheses, it says, check the rock. So if you want to know what the weather's doing, just check the rock, right? And so it, the sign read this, it said, if, if the rock is wet, then it's raining. If the rock is swinging, then it's windy. It says, if the rock is white, it's snowing. If the rock is dry, then it's not raining. If you can't see the rock, it's foggy. And if the rock is missing, it's a tornado. (laughs) And I thought that was kind of funny. But I think it really relates today because if you've ever wondered if Jesus really conquered death, check the rock. If you wonder if Jesus is alive today, check the rock. If you wonder about how to receive eternal life, check the rock. If you want to be set free from fear and death, check the rock. If you want to be set free from addictions, check the rock. If you want to live for eternity in heaven, check the rock. If you ever want to know if Jesus keeps his promises, check the rock. Just check the rock. It's been moved and the tomb is empty. He keeps his promises. been rolled away and Jesus is alive and Jesus was sentenced to death and today the title of my message is the sentence won't stick (laughs) the sentence won't stick Jesus was sentenced to death but it didn't stick it didn't stick you see Easter morning God overturned the sentence and Jesus was raised to life again The good news is this, if the sentence didn't stick to Jesus, then the sentence is not going to stick to me. Come on, can you agree with that this morning? If the sentence didn't stick to Jesus, then it's not going to stick to me today. Many of us have had sentences put on our lives. Many of us have had things spoken over us or gotten into situations where it felt like a death sentence. Paul had the same struggle and he shares it with us this morning. So I want to use Paul... To show you how God is able to deal with your sentence. Second Corinthians chapter 1 starting in verse 8 and 9 and then I'll, I'll come back to verse 10 right after that. Paul says this, it's very important. He says, we think you ought to know. <laughs> now you might not think that's the most important part of that verse, but I think it's one of the most important parts of that verse. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. You see, Paul felt like it was important to share his struggle with people. Some of us are so private, people can't ever connect to us. 
Some of us want to keep this image that everything's fine and dandy on the outside when you're dying on the inside. And there may be somebody standing next to you who's doing the same thing. They got this image up trying to act like they got it all together, but on the inside they're dying. And if the two would just ever talk and share their struggle with one another, they would actually encourage one another. You see, what we think people are going to look down on, God uses to encourage people. Paul said, I think you ought to know the stuff that we went through. (laughs) It's a little bit cool in here this morning. It's for my ushers. It's cold. Like, turn the air conditioning up just a hair. Just a hair, though. Just, I'll break out in sweats in any moment. Huh? My wife does this. What? (sighs) Okay. That didn't help. (laughs) Paul felt it was important to let people know. You see, it's important for others to see your struggles sometimes. Because when they see your struggles, they can also see God's delivering hand in your life. If you've been at this church long enough, I hope you've gotten the fact that we don't preach and teach a false religion that says you go out into the world and act like you got it all together. But on the inside, it's a wreck. No, we teach and preach that God's going to work on the inside and the outside is going to be a reflection of the work that he's doing on the inside. And you don't have to be ashamed of your struggles. You don't have to be ashamed of your weaknesses. Come on, somebody. Because your struggles and your weaknesses are actually your message. Because here's the reality of the world today. People don't want to hear your preaching as much as they want to see your God moving in your life. They've been listening to preaching for thousands of years. They're tired of it. They want to see something real. Let them see it. <laughs> We're all different. Every one of us walked in here different. But there's one thing that we all have in common, and that's every one of us struggles. From time to time, we struggle. And we have bouts and we have battles. You see, the the truth is, is we impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. We connect with people through our weaknesses. You see, sometimes you need to share your struggle so that other people know that they're not alone. And you need to share your struggle sometimes so that you know you're not alone. You ever had somebody share their struggle with you or you share their struggle, you share your struggle with them and then they go, man, I can totally relate to that, bro. I'm walking through the same thing. You go, really? You mean I'm not the only person on the planet going through this? What's the coincidence? Two of us in Eunice are going through the same thing? Your struggle is not going to last forever because we're not sentenced to a life of struggle. Paul says in verse 10, he says this, he said, and he did rescue us from mortal danger and he will rescue us again. We have placed our confidence in him and he will continue to rescue us. Paul found himself in a place where he expected to die. That's how serious it was. But God rescued him and he came out of that with his faith built up that God rescued us once. He'll rescue us again and he will raise the dead. That's good news.
I think it's important to know that God's delivered me. God's delivered me from a lot of things. The biggest one was myself. He's still working on that part, but he still delivered me from myself. And here's hope. If God can deliver me, God can deliver you. That ought to give you hope this morning. Paul's struggle felt like a death sentence. He said this, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we expected to die. You see, they're struggling. There's different types of struggling. You can struggle and endure through it. I mean, many of you do that. You'll struggle through something, and you'll endure it. That means you'll last it, or you'll run its course in your life, and you can hang on, and you'll endure it. Paul says, we couldn't endure it. It's a whole different struggle when you get to the point where you don't know what you're going to do. What to say, how to act, where to go, who to turn to. He says, we expected to die. Paul said he felt like a death sentence. And there was nothing he could do to get out of it. It seemed like the game was over with for Paul. And it looked hopeless. And some of you might feel a sentence has been passed against you in some area of your life today. It may feel like a rock has been secured against you. Maybe you feel like the tomb has been sealed, which means this. You may not have hope right now. You may not know that there's a way of escape. Your hope may be dead today. But I want you to hear something. God reverses death sentences every day. Every day. God turns situations around every day. He's a busy God. He's always active, always moving. Amen? So here's the good news. Number one, your sentence doesn't have the last word. Oh, this is so good. Your sentence, the death sentence that may be placed on your life, does not have the last word. Your struggle doesn't have the last word. You see, it's important as believers to know who has the last word. Because if you know who has the last word, that determines how you get through this life because of who has the last word. Amen? In Revelations, the last book of the Bible, in chapter 22, the last chapter of the Bible, in verses 12 to 13, towards the end of the Bible, Jesus says this. He says, look, I'm coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Who has your last word? Who has your last word? God has your last word. He has the last word. When people pass judgment on you, that's not the last word. When doctors give a prognosis, it's not the last word. When Satan tells you that it's all about to be over with, he doesn't have the last word. Only God has the last word. And we ought to be grateful for that, and that ought to give us hope and encouragement. Jesus was sentenced to death, and on the third day, God overturned that sentence. I want you to say this statement with me this morning because I think you need to make a little declaration today. Say this with me. Say, death will not have the final word in my life. One more time. Death will not have the final word in my life. The second thing we see is that your sentence has been overturned by the Savior. 
What's funny is in this community, there's a lot of people who go around and they feel guilty. Many of you in this church at times feel guilty. And you, you got to be real careful with guilt because sometimes guilt can weigh you down and sometimes ki- guilt wants to kill you. But I want to bring a little clarity to guilt this morning. We are all guilty. Every one of us is guilty. There's a lot of evidence standing up against us. And the truth is, is we all deserve the death sentence. But. You know there's good buts in the Bible. These are good buts. <laughs> but. I deserve death. But. Romans 6.23 says this, watch this. For the wages of sin is death. The price of your sin is death. That means you're guilty and you deserve to die. But, come on. (laughs) I'm sure glad that but is right there. I hate to keep harping on the but, but the but's important. (laughs) But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I deserve death, but... But what I get instead is eternal life with God. Come on, somebody. I deserve to die. I deserve hell. But what Jesus gives me in exchange is heaven. He came to die for us so that we wouldn't have to face the death penalty ourselves. One point this week, I was just in my quiet time, kind of emotional. Because I realized that he just simply took my place. It was a little cartoon on Facebook that got me. Two little guys sitting on a cliff. One guy says, why do they call it Good Friday? It's a sad day. And the other guy goes, well, if you were about to be hung on a cross and Jesus took your place, how would you feel? And the guy said, good. He said, enough said, see you later. Good Friday. I I had the realization that Jesus took my place. I deserve to be there, but he took my place. John 2, 1, 1 John 2, 1 says this, my dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. So watch this. This is even better. Jesus is sitting at the right hand of God. And what is he doing? He's pleading your case. Why? Because he knew you would mess up again. He made a way for our sin. He cleansed us from our sin. And he said, if you sin again, I'm going to be sitting next to the Father. And I'm going to plead your case. Man, Jesus loves me. I feel like breaking out into that old nursery round. Jesus loves me. This I know. Not only because the Bible tells me so, but because he shows me. You see, if God is for you, then no charge can stick against you. I had this picture when Jesus was raised, the charges were dropped. When Jesus was raised, the charges were dropped. The moment he raised was the moment I became free. It was the moment that freedom was found for me. The third point I want to make this morning is we are saved from the sentence the moment we surrender. The moment 
we surrender. Religion says you got to be this and be that and do this and do that and be here and be there and do all these things to receive salvation and to, re- and to be saved from your sentence. But that's not truth. That's religion. Paul says this. Watch what he says. But as a result, we stop relying on ourselves and learn to rely only on God who raises the dead. Paul was at the point of death. And he said, when I got to that point of death, I learned to quit relying on myself. And I learned to rely only on God. But notice that Paul says he learned. I wish I could tell you it was a natural part of us, a natural response that when we get in a bind, we just stop struggling and we just surrender to God. But that's not true. It's something we have to learn. Paul himself, I said, I learned to rely only on God. Why do we fight so hard to save ourselves from struggles and sentences? There's a guy named Watchman Nee, and he was spending some time in China with 20 other Christians, and their, their bathing accommodations were pretty rough. So what they would do is every afternoon they would go down to the river and they would take a good dip in the river just to kind of cleanse the day off. It's about 20 guys and he's kind of overseeing the group. And one particular day, this guy goes out to the middle of the river and he's, you know, probably trying to find, if he was me, he was trying to find that cool spot in the water. You know, you know what I'm saying? You ever go diving for the cool spots in the water? Y'all don't know what I'm talking about? Y'all need to go swim in a pond somewhere. There's like these cool little cool spots. Never mind. Another message. <laughs> but this one guy is swimming out in the middle and both legs start to cramp and he starts to struggle for his life. And Mr. Knee motions to one of the guys who was an excellent swimmer to go save the guy. And the guy's struggling. He's thrashing. He's kicking. He's screaming out for help. And the guy doesn't move. The good swimmer doesn't move. He sits there. And Watchman Nee's sitting there getting, he's getting frustrated because the, the good swimmer won't go and save him. And time goes on and he's getting more frustrated, but the swimmer's not moving. And the guy's steady getting ready to drown. Until finally the guy gets to a point where he's about to go down for the last time. And the swimmer comes swimming out, grabs him, pulls both of them to the bank. And Mr. Knee comes up and he tries to, he starts chewing the guy. Why are you so selfish, man? Why you took so long to go save this guy? Why you didn't jump in right away? Listen to the guy's response. He says, a drowning man cannot be saved until he is utterly exhausted and ceases to make the slightest effort to save himself. You know what God wants more than anything? He wants your surrender. He wants your surrender. You're trying to figure out how it's going to work. You're trying to figure out what he's going to do next. You're trying to plan and scheme your own way. You're trying to flex muscles. You're trying to strain brain cells. You're stressing out the people around you, trying to fix and save yourself. But all God wants you to do is surrender. You see, we get saved from the sentence the moment we surrender. Salvation comes at that moment that we give up control. I want to ask you the most important question you'll ever be asked in your life. Are you born again?
I want you to look at me this morning. Every one of you, look at me. I want to ask you the most important question you'll ever be asked. Are you born again? Not are you christened? Not have you been baptized? I want to know, have you been born again? See, Jesus said something in John chapter 3, verse 3, and then also in verse 5. He says, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What does that mean? My physical birthday is May the 3rd, 1974. You probably ought to write that down. Just saying. It's important to me. I'll say it again. May 3rd, 1974. My spiritual birthday is June of 1986. That was the day. I became spiritually alive. I went from spiritual death to spiritual life. That's the day I was born again. June 1986 at the ABC camp in Richard. That's what it means to be born again. God takes you from spiritual death into spiritual birth. So how do you become born again? It only happens once, but it's simple. It's as simple as ABC. A, admit that you're a sinner and have fallen short. B, believe that Christ alone became the bearer for your sin, your shame, and your guilt. Believe that Jesus died for your sin so you would not have to die in your sin. And then C, confess him as Lord and Savior. It's as simple as that. Admit that you're a sinner and that you've fallen short. That's part of your surrender. Believe that Christ died for your sin, your shame, and your guilt. And confess him as your Lord and Savior. Amen? Is that simple enough? So have you been born again? Do you have a spiritual birthday? Let's pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed this morning. I want to give you an opportunity to be born again today. You can be born again right here, right now, today.